All right, what's up, everyone? We are here today with James Coons, the man behind Modern Day Debate. Uh, if you do not know who James is, he's a man who enjoys Christian apologetics. He's working on his doctorate in industrial psychology and is a free speech advocate through his YouTube channel, Modern Day Debate, which has, I believe it's in the tens of thousands of subscribers now. Uh, so in this interview, we're going to talk to James about some of his experience in moderating debates, why he's still a Christian, and all kinds of fun stuff. So. I'm stoked, James. How are you doing, my guy? I am really excited to be here. Thanks so much, Zach. And it's, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. It's been a while. So thanks so much for being flexible. Yeah, it's been fun, man. And I want to say before before we get into it, I just want to say I've been with you since the beginning. I was just a subscriber when there, before you even hit a thousand. So I knew you before you became this this big face on the whole YouTube circuit. That's nice of you. Um, all credit to the speakers for the channel being as as growing as fast as it has, and that's cool that you were that you've been around for that long. It's been a long, kind of like a an interesting journey. So that's rad. I didn't know that. Yeah, totally, man. So just to start off, for people who don't know who you are, can you just talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, things like that? Absolutely. So let's see. I guess you could say in a way I'm a lifelong learner in the sense that I love school. I've always enjoyed it. I've always wanted something challenging and kind of to stick in that challenging kind of space. So I started with a bachelor's in psychology and then got one in, in philosophy. So it was a dual major with a minor in social or sociology. And I've always been interested in the social sciences, but philosophy I was primarily drawn to through apologetics. and. These were state schools up in Minnesota that I went to, and then I went down to Texas Tech for a master's in philosophy, and then a master's in psychology, and now I'm getting my doctorate at Colorado State in, you could call it like work psychology. And yeah, I just, through the entire time, I've enjoyed apologetics. I've, I guess when I first became a Christian, when I was 20, I wanted to believe it, but I had these like doubts that bothered me and I was like, you know, I want to believe this, but like, this is like these doubts about, you know, like, is the Bible reliable and all these different things, they bothered me. And eventually I ran into people that loved apologetics, which I'm super thankful for, because it's just been a huge, which I think apologetics to a large extent is not, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, this is just my arbitrary. So I'm not saying this is like scriptural, scriptural or the way it ought to be. But in my experience, like apologetics is like, Primarily, it seems like most of the effect, at least in my eyes, is in encouraging believers. And so it's definitely for people who are skeptics or, you know, seekers or unbelievers as well, without a doubt. But it, for me, was a huge encouragement. When I found out about this kind of like huge world of apologetics, I was blown away by just how much evidence or how many answers there were. Hmm. A lot of interesting stuff. Uh, shout out to Nate, Air Church, Roxby, everyone else who's joining us today. Uh, so... I guess we'll just kind of start off with this as we try to, a lot of ground I want to cover. We'll see how much we can get through. Uh, no pressure, of course. So first off, what was the, I'm curious, what was the inspiration behind Modern Day Debate? Because uh, this channel has been around for a few years now. What, what got you to start it? What was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so originally I started, you could, I mean, loosely speaking, it was an apologetics channel called Modern Day Hysteria. And that's what we, that was the same channel that we're on now with Modern Day Debate, but it was basically, I would do apologetics videos, but also I, I like, 
I get a kick out of things like free speech and politics and stuff like that. So I kind of like left it kind of broad and flexible. But eventually, you know, I think the reason, so with Modern Day Hysteria, I love doing my own videos and I, I enjoy debating and I've always enjoyed debating, but I wanted to go on these other channels and I won't name any names because that's not the point of like why I, you know, of the story. The, the point was that I, in some cases, I went on channels and I just felt like the moderators would like jump into the debate. And I was like, wait, what? Like, how, this doesn't seem fair. And so for me, it was that I wanted, I was like, well, if there aren't channel, and don't get me wrong, there, there are chan there are other fair channels out there besides Modern Day Debate. But at that point, I was so turned off by the fact that some of these channels would either, you know, the moderator might jump in and start debating, or they would do after shows where they would like totally trash one of the debaters. And I was like, wait, like this just doesn't seem like it's really that much of a level playing field. And so I was really big on like, hey. We want to give everybody a shot. Like if anybody wants to come and make their case, it's like a public square where anybody can come and fairly on an equal playing ground, get a chance to make that case. And it's kind of like, I always thought it's like, if you went on one of these other channels where like moderators would like jump in, it was like, what a it kind of feels like this empty victory. If the moderator was like helping you, because it's like, well, it's not like you like, won the debate by yourself it's almost like you won a football game and the refs were like you know trying to throw flags in uh, you know at uh, you could say at the other team so it was like you it was kind of this like false or hollow victory so that's basically the big push behind it for why i got really excited about it mm -hmm. yeah i think that one of the most amazing things about your channel is i I very rarely see you get pushback. Like, I think a lot of people say you're a very fair moderator. You don't really get into it, like you said, like some of these other people may do. So I think that's a lot of respect and probably a large reason for why your channel has grown. And one thing I want to talk a little bit about is you talked about how you became a Christian at age 20, I believe. So what kind of led you to Christianity? And then why, in a general sense, we can get into it in more detail later, but why are you a Christian? So those two questions, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so me, so growing up, I was uh, going to church, but it wasn't in any way like a Christian way of going to church. It was, frankly, kind of a super superstitious thing of where I thought, well, if I go to church and if I am like kind of, quote, putting in work or credit with if there is this deity, you know, I, I think I was kind of like a deist where I probably thought, well, maybe like all religions are true which is amazing because that is like, I'm far from that now. Like I, that's one of the more difficult positions for me. But uh, back then I was, my views were very different. And I thought, you know, there's probably a God. And if I can get on its good graces, get its good graces, maybe it'll come back to me in school or football. And so it was superstitious and selfish. And it was also, I mean, I, I really didn't have like a, an interest in learning about like God or my faith. Until I would say about senior year in high school, I was like, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to start reading the New Testament. And that was substantial. I, I think that was like where I really felt God first pulling me hard, especially reading the words of Jesus. There was something that just resonated in this deep, profound way. And it was actually the, the hardest thing for me to believe it all, of all wasn't the apologetic stuff, though that was a challenge at some point. But it was that I could be forgiven for the sins that I had done is for me, it was so hard 
And it was true faith where it was like, well, I don't know how God could forgive me for my sins. And I don't know how this gospel could work for me, that everything could be paid for by Christ. It was it was so hard to believe that. And it was just a matter of like trusting and saying, I'm just going to believe it and trust or accept. Or even if it was, I don't, frankly, I don't think there was. I don't know if there was genuine belief at first as much as like a trust and just uh, saying like, hey, I'm just going to like trust that God is able to wash away everything and that it's not, you know, like that it's all on God. And yeah, I, I don't really know if the belief was there. I think the belief maybe came later in the intellectual sense. I think it was a trusting at first. And yeah, so I uh, I would say it's ultimately like the gospel was what and still is like the, the kind of the foundation of my faith. And the, that was the first sign of repentance as well, because before that, you know, I, I just lived for myself in any way I wanted. And that was when I started seeing repentance from sin and, and finding a new joy in God. So I, uh, yeah, I guess that's like the uh, most direct answer. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. Uh, so you covered a, a lot of ground there. I'm curious because you talked a little bit in the beginning about kind of getting interested in apologetics. So I'm wondering if you could go a little deeper into what what got you interested into apologetics, and as you kind of went into these things, what was some of the things that you're like, oh wow, there's a lot of truth behind this whole Christianity stuff. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing was the classic book by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist was probably one of the more significant books I had read that was like, whoa, this is like, there's, there's really good reasons to be a Christian intellectually. And man, I love that book. It's such a great book. It's just packed with so much solid information. And so it's kind of this classical or apologetics approach, starting with kind of the cosmological argument, fine tuning and so on, the moral argument. And then it would cover these kind of historical kind of, you could say, arguments, both in terms of the, the argument for the resurrection, I think, is I have both asked scholars via email, kind of like, this is, you know, through time, where I thought, well, maybe, because, you know, a lot of times skeptics would say, there's just as many, like, evidences for other religions, historically speaking, as for your resurrection miracle of Christianity, and which, you know, of course, I would ask, well, like, where where is the evidence? Like, tell me about it. And they would say, you know, they, they didn't have an answer. It was just like, well, I'm sure it's out there. I know it must be. And uh, but, you know, I've looked and I, you know, I, I emailed scholars like the highest level scholars names I could find. Uh, and this is years ago saying, hey, is, is there and it was a very tactful like I didn't do it as a jerk. It was very sincere to see what I might get back. And maybe they were all busy, but um, nobody, you know, I said, hey, do you have uh, anything? You know, I, I basically give this like really thin, light kind of, I said, you know, Christians have this minimal facts argument for the resurrection where they argue there are these independent sources, among other things, that support the idea of the resurrection historically. Does your religion have a miracle like that, that there's kind of this cumulative kind of argument for that miracle having happened? And in addition, that was in addition to like looking myself through all these debates and things between, you know, Muslim versus Christian or Mormon versus Christian, whatever. 
And I had never gotten anything back from the scholars. And so, you know, looking for this myself through like other, um, also trying like having read the Quran and reading parts of the Upanishads and, and things like that. I had looked for these things, but it's like, well, I mean, I just still haven't found the kind of the quantity or quality for those arguments. So that's a, a huge part is I do think that there is a strong historical case for Christianity. Mm -hmm. So let's go a little bit more into detail and some of the things that you were uh, talking about here. So I'm curious, when, when you look at the idea of the existence of God, what are some of the like key reasons that you believe that there is a theistic God that exists? That's a good question. I think that there are a couple of arguments that, uh, actually I say several. So I think that the kind of family of cosmological arguments like the Kalam, I do find the Kalam persuasive. I I don't think you, I think one thing that a lot of skeptics that I hear, uh, whether it be like on the channel or elsewhere, misunderstand is that you don't have to have like 100% and Craig, William Lee Craig does a good job of mentioning this in a lot of debates. And this is with any syllogism, you don't have to have 100% certainty on the premises being true in order to kind of find the conclusion to be sound. Or So, so for example, or, or to find the argument sound more broadly, you really just have to find like that there would be more evidence of the premises or you think it's more probable than the negation. And in that case, you you do have good reason if you grant that, you'd have more you'd have good reason to believe that the conclusion is more probable than the negation. And so the Kalam would be one, the contingency argument, I think is a good argument. And the teleological, I don't think it's a bad argument or anything. I haven't read it enough to, to like really know a good response to some of the tougher objections. Uh, so I, I would say I've just got to study it more before I like had a strong opinion. I used to be stronger on it, but then I was like, well, it's like, I, I don't know if I know this well enough to at least run it in a debate. So I've never used it in a debate. The moral argument for a while, I'd say years, I kind of started to lose uh, kind of belief in it or, you know, in terms of its soundness. But then Mike Jones, he had a debate with Skylar Fiction. And one of the things I heard in that debate, actually, I was like, oh, that's actually a great, it's a great kind of saver for that argument. And uh, I can give you an example of that if you'd like, but it's yeah, a little bit So basically, the moral argument, and if you use it like the, the way that Craig has used it in his debates, that, well, I, I have to think about this now that I haven't thought about it for a while in terms of the, the formal premises. So if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And then premise two is, but objective moral values do exist, and therefore God exists. And so this is like, nobody argues about it being like logically valid. And so in other words, like if you grant the premises, it logically, it has to follow. And that's like, nobody argues that. Um, of course, the, the challenge is like, are the premises true? Or in other words, is the argument sound, which requires both that it's like logically valid, but also that it's the premises are true. And some people have had doubts in terms of well, do we know that moral values exist? And, and you can cast out on either premise. But the one that bothered me is I thought, well, like we think that moral values exist and it's based on our moral experience of the world, which, you know, I think that Craig gives good reasons and others have said, well, you know, I mean, 
if you start casting doubt on your moral experience of the world, like you, it might come at a cost because such skepticism, you, to be consistent, you might have, you might start uh, having to have doubt about these other things that we usually take for granted. So for example, like I, it seems to me that the world around me exists, right? Like I'm not a brain in a vat. And so if I would say, well, if that personal experience of the world counts as evidence, um, which we usually think, so think of it in, in this case, what I want to do is so sorry. I'm like, want to come back to this main idea. You're all good. You are all good. Take your time. So we, we trust in our moral experience of the world. And if we start saying, well, I'm going to doubt that, then it's like, well, why don't you start doubting your other experiences of the world regarding such as that we're here, or you can name a number of them, but some skeptics have said like, well, yeah, but you know, moral experience, if I remember right, the objection was maybe it's that we, we have this, it was evolutionarily evolved. And Richard Joyce is like a philosopher from Ohio state. If I remember, he's written about the evolution of morality, which is a kind of a classic book on like moral skepticism, stuff like that. And it's like, well, maybe it was conducive for passing on for, you know, human groups surviving well and thus propagating their genes. And it's like, well, yeah, so maybe, you know, we, we have a reason to doubt it. And it's like uh, a lot of evolutionists would say the main thrust is that they would say, but, you know, the difference between our empirical, our reasoning about empirical things that we, you know, kind of can see and touch is we would say evolutionarily, we would say, the skeptic would say, well, we would not have survived had we not been accurate in our perceptions of the, of the physical world, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're constantly off about that, if you think that there's a tiger and, you know, it's, it's only 50 yards away, but if you misperceive it as being, like, significantly farther, well, like, you're probably in trouble because you might not think of it as serious of a threat as it actually is. And so you are not as likely to pass on your genes relative to those who have an accurate, you know, you could say visual representation of the physical world. And I was like, yeah, okay, so that's interesting. Like you could say that like evolution might be able to back that experience of our physical world such that those who, you know, uh, you could say that our physical, our, our, perceptions of the physical world being accurate was, you could say, kind of cultivated through natural selection. The ones who didn't have that accuracy died off. But then um, Mike Jones, and that, that you know, kind of worried me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like morally speaking, um, do we have that kind of like response to defend our moral experience? But Mike Jones has said, but what about, you know, our experience isn't just physical. It's not just a physical thing. So for example, we might have these experiences like we, we trust our experience with, let's say, mathematics or our logical, like how we reason about logic in our heads. These kind of, you could say, abstract reasoning. And we trust that. And we might say, though, but that, it's hard to see how evolution would have formed that, right? Because it's like, well, we it's harder to see like our reasoning that's not about physical things, um, it's harder to see like how that would have helped us survive as much as it would with your physical perceptions of like how far the tiger is, for example. 
And so Mike Jones has said, like, you know, if you start doubting your moral experience, you might have to start doubting your kind of like your perception of how you reason about these abstract things such as logic, in which case, like everything seems to unravel. So it's a really um, I think it's just a better example of rather than relying on the physical world, relying on these kind of like abstract types of thinking and saying, if we start to doubt our moral experience, if we're that skeptical, to be consistent, we should probably start doubting our reasoning about these abstract things like logic, in which case it's like, it's just too great a cost, uh, such skepticism is. So that's a long way. Mike puts it better than I do. He's very, <laughs> he's more, he's more concise and incisive in how he says it. But yeah, so I've kind of had my belief in the moral argument restored. I think the resurrection argument is an inductive argument, is a good argument. And I think that the properly basic belief, I think that there's probably a way, I'd have to like restudy it, I, but I used to definitely, I, I have no like problems with it per se. I, I, I wouldn't take it into a debate without studying it more though. I, I've got to study some of the, uh, like the great pumpkin objection as it's been called. Like um, basically the idea of like, well, once you let this in, you're going to let everything in. Um, I am somewhat of a fan of Pascalian wagers, not Pascal's original wager, but the type that people like Liz Jackson and others have, you say, resurrected. They've kind of tweaked it so it has a contemporary twist. I think I don't. I think they're serious. Uh, I think that there's something to be like take seriously, and that I take fairly seriously. I think that there may even be kind of a shorter term earthly wager in terms of, if you think about it in terms of utility, it may be, given that we know from psychology, there does seem to be considerable evidence that religious people are happier if they're intrinsically religious. So in other words, if they are actually pursuing God in and of himself, rather than, you know, like, oh, well, I go to church because it gives me a good uh, reputation, like, well, those, those people aren't happier. In fact, there's some evidence they might be less happy than the average person. But people who are saying, I go to church, like I, I firmly believe in this because I desire God and to know God, they definitely do seem to be happier. And so from a purely utilitarian sense, it might be argued that you, from a decision theory perspective of if you want to maximize your utility, you ought to be religious even if there's no afterlife. So those arguments I am like open to more than most, as I know a lot of apologists hate Pascal's wager. And I again would say Pascal's original argument, yeah, I agree, like that it's not going to work. But I think contemporary versions actually can work. Yeah, Pascal's wager is definitely an interesting one. One of the most interesting things that I took a psychology 210 class, which is like human development. And one of the most interesting things was to me in my secular textbook, they talked about how it was shown that being involved in religion showed positive benefits during a, during a person's development, which was really interesting because I think it shows that it's not just Christians who are pushing that narrative, um, or not that necessarily that narrative, that's showing that evidence. Um, so let's just, we talked about some of the reasons to believe in God. Uh, just again here, take a few minutes, however long you need, and just talk about some of like the main reasons that you believe specifically in Christianity, because theism, you know, you can have Judaism, Islam, some of the African tribal religions, Christianity. So why specifically Christianity? Why are you specifically, are you a Christian? 
Yeah, so without a doubt, I think that they're probably the biggest reason is I do think there's like there's strong evidence for the resurrection that I have not seen comparable evidence for other miracles of other religions. That is significant for me. I theologically, I know that like some have raised objections that, like regarding whether or not you can have a Unitarian God such as an Islam. I think there are like potential problems there. I think the Trinity is also one of one of the more challenging things about Christianity. I think among scholars, like philosophers of religion, like the Trinity is like uh, it's a challenging thing, and it's like a serious kind of thing that doesn't usually come up in lay discussions. Like internet atheists don't bring it up as often. They usually go for like the genocide, you know, the uh, the alleged genocide of the Old Testament, things like that. Those are the kind of arguments, the emotional arguments from the Old Testament or other sources. But the Trinity is a, a tough one for Christianity, but I don't think it's like a problem. Uh, but I, at the same time, I'm like, I don't know enough about the theological objections to other religions other than maybe some like basic kind of ideas that I would say ultimately it comes back to the resurrection evidence. And I've looked for and asked for the evidence for a comparable miracle in another religion. I just haven't found that kind of support. I think that you could maybe, I've never thought of it this way, you could maybe in addition to raising theological objections, if you, if you find them in other religions, but you might also potentially argue that uh, if you think that there is a God that has scripture or its word passed on, then you might even argue that, for example, like the New Testament, like Bruce Metzger, scholar, who if I remember right, was Bart Ehrman's mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, so like top-notch level scholar, uh, he had cited that 99.5% of the New Testament has been preserved. In other words, if you round up to the nearest percent with standard rounding rules, it's 100%. Uh, so like the, the little differences, the, the little discrepancies don't have a lot of meaning. You maybe would argue that the, you know, if you, let's say, argued that the, and, and you know, the, the Old Testament would be, you know, talking about others, but also, I can't remember the book that I was reading, but also having been preserved very well, you might argue that if the Christian scriptures do have this preservation that other religious scriptures don't have, that may be a reason to doubt other religions relative to Christianity. It's not something that I've like thought, uh, like delved into, but somebody, you know, somebody wanted to, I think it'd be a fun topic. Hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of great stuff you have lined up there. So I got kind of like, I don't know what it was just a, a blackout moment for like half a second there, but we're back. Oh. And so I'm curious, you, you've moderated so many hundreds, if it's probably not in the thousands yet, but you gotta be getting, you gotta be getting close to the thousands if you're not, there yet how has moderating all these debates affected your faith in christ you know i don't think i think a lot of people think that it would more than it uh does and the reason i say that is just because i think sometimes people maybe guess that it was like something kind of new for me but it wasn't that new in the sense that 
I mean, I, I never did it at this rate. So now we've got like five debates a week on average. Mm. But so it's not at this rate, I would agree. I still learn new things. But at the same time, I, I mean, I was basically obsessed with apologetics in college. So I had listened to debates like, I don't know how many times I listened to like, I. I don't know how many debates of William Lane Craig I've listened to, but it's a lot. Like I would guess it could be if you listened to like, if you counted like replays, like, I don't know, 50, a hundred, like, um, and with many different opponents, I, I'm not exactly sure how many it would be, but a lot. There's a, so in, you know, I would constantly look for debates to listen to. And they were usually like top level you know, I always thought, I was like, well, why would, you know, like, if I can, I'll look for these top level ones first and uh, try to, like, learn as much as I could. And so I I don't know if a ton has changed. Like I said, it kind of restored my, Mike Jones inspiring philosophy restored my belief in the, the moral argument. Um, and there are some things I learned where I'm like, oh, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I hadn't known about that. But I would say as a general rule, it's uh, not it's not that exciting. It stayed pretty similar. And that, I think it's just because, like I said, I was like literally obsessed in college, like a debate a day I would listen to for a while. Um, yeah, that's probably not unrealistic. And so that's why it probably hasn't changed that much. I'd heard a lot of the ideas beforehand. I think another thing is, you know, um, on an ultimate level, like I think the Holy Spirit is like, the reason where we are, where we are hmm. spiritually, although we still have our own mistakes that we make. And so obviously that's not caused by the Holy Spirit. But I, I think that our temperaments, so Jonathan Haidt is a psychologist who's argued that our morals, especially when you look at liberals and conservatives, for example, we do see these moral foundations that generally liberals and conservatives differ on and they arguably are at least partly the result of our temperament. And I think that there's probably a lot to be said about our temperament being an influence on our beliefs, even with regard to religion. And uh, I wouldn't say that that's like, I, like I said, I don't want to take away from like the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a way in which the, maybe the Holy Spirit even works through in some way. I don't know, but so that's, I think, maybe partly why as well is that um, I think it's true we do look at evidence, but I, I mean, I, I think that to an extent our temperament also leads us to believe what we believe. Okay. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, there's a live chat question that kind of goes along with what my next question was. Um, so I'm curious about, like, what, what's, what's the preparation for these debates look like? You obviously have a lot on your plate juggling all your doctoral work and at the same time running this YouTube channel. Noel asks, does he study both sides before the debate? And I'd love to just add on to this question from Noel. Like, what does, in general, what does it look like leading up to a debate? How much work does it, do you have to put into it? You have to obviously not only coordinate your schedule, but two other people's schedule, as you said, five times a week now. Like, what's that process look like? Yeah, it's a ton of email. And to be honest, so this is like, I admit a little bit dangerous, some might say, is that I, I can't study as much as I'd like 
for all of these issues, especially because it's like across the board and now it's becoming where you could say our range is broader in terms of the topics like Thursday, we've got is the Illuminati real and we've got we've got the fine tuning argument today. We might have one on like race and uh, police brutality this weekend, like all of those topics. It's difficult to have a mastery of all of them. I, the one I feel most comfortable about is philosophy of religion, but I have to be honest that in terms of studying the material of the different debaters, it's very little. And by that, I mean, um, it oftentimes is none, which is, I know, a little bit controversial. Sometimes people are a little bit, I think, uh, they don't like that. I can understand why, you know, they might think, but what if you bring on somebody who tells a lie? And um, my hope is that the debater, well, first, I, I don't know if anybody, I mean, maybe, like, I think most people, the vast majority, I think even atheists, for whatever reason, uh, whether it be God's direct grace or, you know, people being raised in uh, kind of like, there's this kind of, cultural Christianity where, you know, as the culture lying is perceived as wrong. I, I think it's like really, I, I don't know if I've ever caught anybody ever in like a plain lie where I was like, well, um, I think we've seen like one or, you know, sometimes we see people where it's like, oh, I think you might have that. I think that's like the gospel of, that's the, the infancy gospel of Thomas. Like that's where allegedly Jesus struck down his, you know, his, his young friends when he was little. It wasn't in the canonical gospels like and they were the person was very kind of like oh sorry about that like it's embarrassing and so it's i think it's pretty rare that anybody purposely tells a lie um it's more from the debates themselves that i can learn the people's views to be honest mm, yeah standing for truth says james coons is at the handsome host of modern day debate can i get an autograph that's hilarious. He's a character, isn't he? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if he gets an autograph, I want an autograph. Just saying. That's uh, so, I'm curious. You talked a little bit about how these debates have affected your faith, or not, maybe not not affected them at all. But have there been moments where you've been challenged to like look into things deeper um, from people who are non Christians, or maybe in a political issue, or something along those lines? Like, have there been areas where your beliefs have been challenge that let's see you know i i don't know what it is um with i would say this isn't as much me having like read a ton of this stuff beforehand though like i said like my college years were just pretty intense like when i get into something i usually get into it big time like kind of a, a little bit of like an obsessive personality so like in college like apologetics was like really into just a plethora of different sources and things like that so but i, I don't want to say that it's like oh so i've heard everything that's not true um i think at the same time like my attention is oftentimes divided because I'm trying to manage mentally all like different things during the debate. And so maybe there are objections that I miss. Um, I'm trying to give you like reasons for why I'm like there. I, I would say, yeah, it's, 
it's honestly it's really hard uh to name anything to be honest and it's not that i don't think we have it's not that i would say that like none of you like no the atheist debaters we have on they, they just don't have anything persuasive to say i think we have a lot of great atheist debaters like they're they're tough debaters but i just haven't had that experience i think after a number of years and then maybe getting my master's i think probably by the time that i finished my master's in philosophy primarily with like an emphasis in philosophy of religion so the arguments on god's existence so like having the formal training in philosophy like and kind of going through that crucible of having atheist you know graduate level atheist classmates and and then professors who were really polite I, everybody at texas tech i love um but you know having those challenges from them like it's tough to top that you know what i mean i mean especially like some of the scholars at texas tech like they were like really good philosophers there and so i don't um you know so i guess that once i went through that crucible I, it's they've been pretty firm yeah um so I see everyone putting in questions. We'll get to some questions at the end, and you guys can get your chance to grill James uh, as he's here for about an hour. But uh, my next question for you is, so obviously I just can't imagine how much work you put in everything. Like all your your quality is so well done in your debates. I love your thumbnails, uh, things like that. So a, a day in your life, what does a day in your life look like with everything you got going on? Thanks for your kind words. I appreciate that. I Well, I, I have to give credit to... Um, standing for truth buddy snake was right is his name he's a youtuber he he hosts with a lot of thumbnails which is a huge blessing um and then i would say but i do a lot of them still myself i enjoy it though so it's kind of like relaxing but i would say that during the school year i usually wake up at like six or maybe uh, like around 6 a.m and work out and then do schoolwork pretty much all day with maybe some like modern day debate emails interweaved um but pretty much all day until stream time which is used to be usually at seven and now we sometimes we do the afternoon but and then you know so it'd be the stream and then maybe a little extra work on mdd before bed modern day debate before bed and then um pretty much get up and do it the, the next day so it's like and that's like almost every day so i mean like that's Sunday being the exception where it's it's not as much, which, you know, like I, you know, debate based on uh, New Testament passages on whether or not it's right or wrong. So I understand some people, you know, I, I do like getting to attend church is a blessing, but I, I don't always abstain from schoolwork on Sundays. And I don't really feel like modern day debate is like work. It's just a fun, like hobby thing that I love to do. But yeah, it's sometimes I maybe work a little bit too much in terms of all the time that I put into those things. And sometimes it's burnt me out a little bit. Um, but it is a lot. I mean, because, you know, the doctorate is already your life is you're voluntarily kind of throwing your life out of balance. And then modern day debate is also a lot of time. And so, like, sometimes I am a little bit uh, burnt out, but overall blessed and excited. It's, uh, I really do enjoy it. I, I do really like it. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, there's a lot of people that appreciate all the time that you pour into it. So I'm curious, like, did you ever realize, like, how big modern-day debate would become? Like, did you think you'd have these debates where you're in you're live in person with Matt Dillahunty and David Wood, and you have hundreds of thousands of views and tens of thousands of subscribers? Like, did you ever see modern debate becoming as big as it was or it is now? 
No, I didn't think it was, you know, like I think for every YouTuber, the thou the first thousand subscribers are by far the hardest in the, in the sense of like getting your, getting the word out there that you're doing this and you're trying to welcome people to join. And that's so true for a long time. I was kind of wondering like, is this, do people like this? Is this going to like be a, like a channel that people respond to? And I did not think it would grow this fast. It's uh, surprised me. It's been a huge blessing. God's put his blessings on it big time because I didn't, I mean, I think I remember two years ago, I was telling him when I first moved to Colorado and I was telling my friend, I was like, Hey, is like, you know, you never know, like maybe after a couple of years, you know, we'd be able to kind of like hit that thousand mark or something like that. And that's not bad. I mean, like, you know, it's like, but, um, seeing it grow like it has, has been really exciting. And, um, you know, it's, it's raised some ethical things. Like we've, you know, we've had critics and from every camp, it seems like, and that's fair. Like, I'm not trying to say that they're unreasonable. I try to take their advice and uh, consider their perspective. We don't agree with everybody. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely kind of caught on in, in a sense. And I hope it's for the good. I, I do hope that it's fair. Uh, I hope that we can do good through like our kind of our charity stream that we do once a month. And I hope that the debaters feel treated well, because I, I just felt like that wasn't the case always uh, when back in the day. And, you know, I personally, as a Christian, hope that the gospel is out and that the, a good apologetic is put on. And I also, academia, don't get me wrong, I love my professors and I'm thankful for my professors, but academia as a whole, as a broader institution, I don't always think is welcoming to all views. And that's what I mean when I say that wanting to be kind of a, loosely speaking, a free speech advocate is that we, uh, you know, at the channel, we've been willing to host like almost everything. And it's not because I agree with all these views, like some views without a doubt, you know, I, I'm like, yeah, I totally disagree with that. I think it's horrible. But at the same time, I think if we are like the real deal about this idea of tolerance, we're even going to dialogue with some of the, the people that seem to be what most of us would think of as bad apples. So yes, um, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. That's one of the things I love the most about your channel is like, I'll look and I'll be on YouTube. I'll be like, James is having a flat earth debate or James is having an Illuminati debate. I'm like, these things are like things. I'm like, why are we debating these things? But I mean, I, I think it's so awesome what you're doing where when you see free speech and you see tolerance, you, you include everyone in that. And I think that's, something awesome that you're doing is you're not putting any issues to the side here um so yeah i have a lot of respect for you for that i appreciate that that's nice of you and uh yeah i mean some of them are fringe and they're kind of i think people think they're silly and some of them are uh considered so controversial and uh, kind of like like whoa uh that i understand people's concern but I really do believe in the idea of like letting a thousand flowers bloom, I think is going to bring about the greatest results. So it is like, there is still a utilitarian aspect to it where it's like, I'm yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's a wild one. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're starting to wind down here before we do some a little bit of Q and A. A uh, few smaller, easier, lighter questions here. What are some of your favorite debate topics that you have in modern day debate? Like, what what are your favorite things that you like to see debated? I, you know, so I don't know what it was. I mean, like, I still love apologetics. I still learn things from these apologetics debates without a doubt, and I enjoy it, and it's great. And I do, I do like empirical questions, things that we can like, and you know, one of some of my favorite debates have been with Mike Jones, inspiring philosophy, debating on, for example, is Christianity dangerous? Is religion harmful? And he's brought these empirical papers, and I won't say, I won't name his opponents, but I, I think Mike has done in, in these debates, um, he's done a great job, and. I'm just like, I just love that Mike comes with an organized case and he's got empirical data. And it's not that I don't think that philosophy is a way to have knowledge. I do. Um, but I think that for me, there are a lot of things where it's like, um, that's one of them that if I were going to do a debate soon, because I thought about maybe doing one this summer, I don't, I doubt I'll be able to do it. But if I were going to do one, I would love to do one on whether or not religion is more harmful than good. I think there are just so many empirical papers where it's like, this is like, it astounds me that a lot of people are still kind of pushing the idea of like, oh, religion does more harm than good. And I'm like, empirically speaking, I can tell you as like a doctoral student in psychology who studied this, like, no, it doesn't do more harm than good. There are definitely like pockets of religion that become toxic and that do more harm than good. But those are kind of the exception to the rule. Generally speaking, we do see that religion does facilitate pro-social or kind sacrificial behaviors and forgiving behaviors. And so like those empirical ones, I just am fascinated by when you'd be surprised. It surprises me how few people will go out and get quality surveys and peer reviewed papers and say, hey, here's the data, here's the numbers, I'll summarize it for you. And so those I really maybe enjoy the most. And those could be other things. They might be political sometimes, but the whether or not religion is harmful is another great example. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple questions here, similar questions with a different noun. Uh, who is, who do you think is an underrated atheist debater that you've seen? An atheist that you think deserves more attention, a smart person that isn't a big name? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I love it. Let's see. I kind of, I want to like, and it, so my guess is I usually think of this as like philosophy. Like I might go to like the bread and butter and what I think has maybe been the flagship topic of the channel maybe is like kind of the classic does God exist debate. So it's usually philosophy oriented. Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, I can say that there are things that I, there's nobody like in particular where I would say like that person, you know, without a doubt. I think that there are some where I could say, hey, that person's got this great trait and it makes them a dangerous debater. You know, like um, I could try to think of a couple examples. I think that Tom Jump's confidence is a superb strength in his debate technique. Like he is, he speaks with conviction and he is assertive. And I think generally some John Lennox types are able to be more easygoing and they're superb debaters. Like, I think John Lennox is great. Like, he's one of my favorites of all time. 
but it's like it takes something really special to be able to be that easygoing. There's something really winsome about Lennox. I think that generally, not always, generally I think being assertive is a good thing. And I think Tom Jump, I have to say, is like he does a great job of being very assertive. And I'm not saying that's his only gift or anything, but I think that would be one uh, major strength that you, who could deny that? And it's, it does make a difference in debates. Um, I think that some of the more dangerous, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell. <laughs> um, short term, like some emotion driven arguments. Let me think about this. I, I It's so hard. I'm so sorry. It's not that there aren't good okay. ones. Um, I might have to come back to this. Like, let me let me come back to that. I might have somebody else I can name as well. You're good. Um, we're gonna switch now. Same question on the other side. Who, who do you think are some underrated Christians? Uh, I gotta warn you, standing for truth is here. The man who creates your thumbnails. So there may be some pushback if you don't say standing for truth. But uh, who are some of your, one or two of your favorite Christian debaters that don't get enough that, that aren't big? That's funny. I love it. Um, so I, I have to say, Standing for Truth admittedly has the same strength that Tom has, among others. Like both these guys have got multiple gifts. I'm like, um, but I would say that Standing for Truth, his conviction is definitely one of his strongest kind of uh, tools in his kind of tool belt. But Eric Hernandez, I think, is a great debater. I think that uh, we used to have, and, and I think that. Like I look forward to seeing Eric Hernandez have a bigger platform because I think that he deserves it. He's got the training and he's he's quick on his feet in these debates. He's got a great demeanor and confidence when he does these debates. I think that, and he's yeah. I think I said he's he's well read as well. Like, uh, but um, Ben Fisher I think has been a good debater, and uh, we used to have on. I think that oh man. This is like way back. So some of you, if you've like been hanging on the channel for a long time, John, I think it was John Singleton was his name. I don't know if you guys, if you remember him, but he, I always told him he looked like Fred Savage from the Wonder Years, which is like an old TV show. But he was a great debater, um, but we, we kind of lost touch. Um, but yeah, so those are good. It's a great question though. All right. Uh, we're going to go to some live Q&A for... A few minutes here, probably about 10 minutes, we start to wrap things up. So we're going to try to fly through some questions here. First question comes from Eric Church, similar to what we were talking about before. But he says, how does um, James vet first-time debaters? Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, – my face is red. Uh, it's true. We, we do admittedly <sighs> little vetting. We are getting better at it. So we used to, it's true, I used to basically take anybody, we didn't even ask for like a previous debate link. We would just say like, oh, you want to debate? Great, nine o'clock this Saturday. <laughs> and I'm like, but uh, we, we realized not surprisingly, and I tell people like when I teach my students, I don't tell them about the debate channel, but I tell them one of the reasons for, you know, reading and pushing yourself intellectually is that people can recognize articulate speakers. Like everybody sees it. And when we have bad debaters, people are like, nah, who cares? I don't really want to watch. And so we have gotten into the process of where now we will actually ask for a link from a prior debate or we ask about their prior debate experience to try to see like kind of what 
skill level they might be at. And also it helps us match them. And we, in a way, do a little vetting on our own. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes tag team debates. If there's a newcomer, I want to ideally have them in a tag team debate first because it kind of like splits their time in a way to where I get like a little bit of exposure, but we're not trusting them to carry that whole side on their own. They all like I can partner them with somebody more experienced. Okay. Uh, Frank Christian says, what is the strangest debate of all time? For sure. It was when this guy <laughs> claimed, <laughs> I think he was trolling us. I don't know. He, so there was like this one guy used to have on named Joe and I like Joe. He's cool. But he, he found this guy on the internet that seemed to claim he had magical powers. And he came on. <laughs> this is really early in the channel's history. It's still on there, though, if you look at I don't know where to find it. But um, he tried, He claimed to do, like, magic midstream. He was, I think, to some... Uh, he was, yeah, claiming to do magic where tried to make a chicken appear in my hand it didn't work but it was without a doubt the strangest topic probably oh my that sounds interesting uh to say the least uh spartan theology says who's your biggest guest you hope to get so we right now we i just sent an invitation to dinesh d'souza and that might be like you know if that were to happen which i you know, like i frankly doubtful, but I might do like a second request and, and kind of uh, see if we can like negotiate. Uh, that would be kind of a combination of religion and politics topics, kind of like Dinesh D'Souza and Christopher Hitchens, those debates that used to happen. And uh, we are talking to Ray Comfort to see if we might be able to get Ray Comfort on for a debate with a big time atheist. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. We've reached out to Jordan Peterson. We haven't heard anything back. I think he's probably above what we can offer for an honorarium, but we, it is something that I definitely am going to reach out again and try to increase the honorarium. Um, just because it's the word on the streets is that to get him in person is $50,000, which obviously we don't have, <laughs> but but I will offer, you know, like I am going to offer a progressively bigger amount, not nearly like $50,000, but we'll see. Hopefully we can get Jordan Peterson on. That would be kind of a dream guest as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you could get the $50,000 honorarium, I don't think you need to really do that psych doctoral stuff. You know, you can just do modern. <laughs> right. <laughs> Smart Theology says, uh, how do we get vocab to debate on modern day debate? I love my, I love vocab Malone. What's what's vocab got to do to get on modern day? That is an awesome idea. I would love to have vocab on. We Facebooked and I mentioned to him. I said, "Hey man, like you're a quality debater. We'd love to have you on." It's it's really just about we haven't found the topic yet. Is that finding like the t right topic that we always? I'm always I try to tell people like if it's not a topic you'd like really enjoy, like don't feel like, you know, obligated to say that you take it. And so it's really just about working out a, um, the right topic. But I definitely hope to get vocab on in the future. Uh, funny question here from Frank Christian. He says, can you limit T-Jump to one debate per week, please? That is what I'm working on doing. <laughs> it's not that I don't like Tom. I love Tom. But it's true that the audience sometimes, you know, that anybody, it can be anybody. 
they're just kind of like, oh man, you know, like it's more fun when it's mixed up. I agree. Well, that's fun stuff, man. Uh, we're going to start to wrap things up here as we run out of time, man. So for someone who doesn't know who you are, what you do, how do they follow you, James, in Modern Day Debate? So we're at Modern Day Debate on YouTube. It's the only channel named that on YouTube, and it's uh, basically a mix of re primarily religion, because that's kind of my background, like apologetics. And we're also on Twitter and that's, if I remember right, our handle is at Modern Day Debate. We're also on Facebook. We might convert my, uh, we might eventually go on Instagram. I don't know what pictures I put. Maybe like snapshots, like screenshots of the debaters. I'm not sure. That's, we should do that. It's actually a good idea. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where we are now. Not going to lie. Uh, man, this has been a great conversation. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, so wrap things up here. For here in apologetics, if you are new here, you can please subscribe. Uh, with listening through YouTube or podcast, just subscribe wherever you are. You can follow us on Twitter at AA Apologetics, which is it here in apologetics. And now you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. Um, at it here in apologetics, I'd love to see you make some TikToks with your debates, James. That would be interesting. That would be, and I, I will second Zach that I would highly encourage you to subscribe to Adherent Apologetics just because. Uh, Zach, is a, in our interactions, you've always seemed like a high-integrity guy, which I think is really like the most important thing for an apologist is being sincere to the Lord, faithful to the Lord, and walking in integrity. And so I would encourage you folks that, you know, especially if you come here from Modern Day Debate, I've had nothing but positive experiences with Zach, and he's got a lot of really creative ideas, which, by the way, creativity, I think, is like the most underrated trait nowadays. And, you know, Zach, I think that some of the stuff like the brackets you've done and stuff like that, just really fun and creative stuff. It's innovative. It's new. And, it, you know, it's like it's dynamic, which I think is great for apologetics. So I totally would encourage you folks to subscribe to Adherent Apologetics. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. It's been a fun journey. And I hope that when I have more time to prepare for a debate, I will be on modern day of debate again, hopefully. And Nate2D2, you better subscribe to Zach. Just kidding. He's always here. All right. So uh, last thing I forgot to plug, you can support us at patreon.com slash adhere in apologetics. We're nearly 50% funded. Once we are fully funded, I will hopefully be debating more and a lot more content will come out whenever that day hopefully comes. But for now, that's it. James, this has been a great conversation, man. I appreciate you greatly. You are welcome here any hour of any day of any year. And I butchered how to say that, but you know, you're always welcome, man. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Zach. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Have a good one. God bless. Take care.